Welcome to the May 26, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the role of HEATER-3 variants as a new cause of diamond black fan anemia. Learn more about the long-term efficacy and safety of zanubrutinib in relapsed or refractory mantle cell lymphoma, and uncover an unexpected role for HMGB1 in anemia of inflammation by inhibiting erythropoietin signaling. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled Heater 3 Variants Impair Nuclear Import of UL18, or RPL5, and Drive Diamond Black Fan Anemia, by Marie-Françoise O'Donoghue, from the University of Toulouse in Toulouse, France, and colleagues. Diamond Black Fan Anemia, or DBA, is an inherited bone marrow failure syndrome associated with impaired production of ribosomes. DBA is characterized by impaired erythroid cell development and red cell aplasia. Related manifestations that affect about half the patients with DBA include physical malformations of the face, hands, heart, and the urogenital tract, and an increased risk of developing cancer, including AML and osteosarcomas. Approximately 75% of DBA cases are caused by monoallelic loss of function mutations in ribosomal protein genes and rare cases are associated with the transcription factor GATA1 or the ribosome assembly factor TSR2. However, mutations causing the remaining 20 to 25% of DBA cases are unknown. While the pathogenesis of DBA is still not well understood, suggested mechanisms include stabilization of the P53 tumor suppressor, reduced translation of the GATA1 and other transcripts important for erythropoiesis, and or degradation of the GATA1 chaperone, HSP70. In the current study, investigators identified biallelic variants in the HEATER3 gene as a new cause of DBA in four unrelated pedigrees. HEATER3 encodes a protein involved in importing ribosomal proteins into the nucleus. This team conducted additional experiments in primary human cells, cell lines, and yeast models with HEATER3 deficiency to investigate how reduced HEATER3 might lead to erythroid failure. DBA-associated HEATER3 mutations were first discovered by whole exome sequencing in two siblings with erythroid lineage failure and other DBA manifestations who did not have previously described ribosome gene mutations associated with DBA. This led to a query of the European Diamond Black Fan Registry for similar cases which identified three other pedigrees with HEATER3 mutations and similar findings. Clinical phenotypes identified in the total of six affected patients included selective erythroid hypoplasia, or anemia with transient but severe thrombocytopenia, short stature, facial dysmorphia, and or limb abnormalities, congenital cardiac defects, and intellectual disability. One child had osteosarcoma. Of note, intellectual disability is rarely reported in classic DBA. Sanger sequencing revealed the presence of splice site or missense heater 3 variants in all affected patients. Homozygous variants were present in patients from three families where there was consanguinity. In the fourth family, patients were compound heterozygotes for variants in heater 3 These variants were found at positions that are evolutionarily highly conserved and were dispersed across heater 3 
there was no apparent clustering, although all affected residues involved either the armadillo or heat-repeat domains of Heater 3. Studies in patient lymphocyte cell lines showed that the missense Heater 3 variants destabilized the protein without affecting mRNA levels. Expression of Heater 3 variants or repression of Heater 3 expression in primary cells, cell lines of various origins, and yeast models resulted in impaired growth, differentiation, pre-ribosomal RNA processing, and ribosomal subunit formation, similar to previously described DBA models of the large subunit ribosomal protein gene variants. The yeast studies took advantage of homology of human heater 3 with its yeast counterpart, Symportin-1, which transports ribosomal proteins into the nucleus as part of 60S ribosomal subunit assembly. In line with the hypothesized role of heater 3 in ribosomal protein import, Heater 3 depleted cells and patient derived fibroblasts showed reduced accumulation of the ribosomal protein UL18 in the nucleus. Experiments conducted in hematopoietic progenitor cells expressing Heater 3 variants and in cells in which Heater 3 was knocked down pointed to abnormal acceleration of erythrocyte maturation coupled with severe proliferation defects that were independent of P53 activation. Additional experiments revealed that patient lymphoblastoid cell lines expressed similar levels of P53 and also had similar total levels of UL18 compared to controls, which points to a defect in subcellular localization of UL18 with heater 3 defects. In an accompanying commentary, Dina Iskander from Imperial College London and Alan Warren from the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom Note that the study by O'Donohue identifies biallelic mutations in Heater 3 as a cause of DBA and uncovers a new pathophysiologic mechanism by which this leads to erythroid failure. This mechanism includes impaired nuclear import of ribosomal protein UL18, defects in ribosomal RNA processing, and reduced production of the 60S ribosomal subunit that together led to P53-independent perturbation of erythroid development. Based on these findings, Iskander and Warren believe that Heater 3 should be included in multi-gene diagnostic panels for DBA, especially if there is consanguinity. Also noteworthy is that variants in only one other gene, which encodes the ribosome assembly factor TSR2, have autosomal recessive inheritance in DBA. Taken together, these data suggest that genetically unexplained DBA cases are likely attributable to defects in ribosome structure assembly, or function. Finally, Iskander and Warren comment that although Heater 3 was depleted in all six patients, their clinical phenotype was heterogeneous and included transfusion dependence, steroid responsiveness, and treatment independence. Thus, future studies should focus on revealing the genetic, epigenetic, and environmental factors that influence this variable phenotypic expression. Next up, we'll discuss an article in Blood entitled Zanubrutinib in Relapsed Refractory Mantle Cell Lymphoma, Long-Term Efficacy and Safety Results from a Phase II Study by Yukin Song from the Peking University Cancer Hospital and Institute in Beijing, China, and colleagues. Mantle cell lymphoma, or MCL, is an aggressive subtype of B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma, characterized by relapsing and remitting clinical course and poor long-term prognosis. Most patients with MCL will relapse and respond poorly to chemotherapy. 
The estimated survival of these patients is one to three years. Those with high-risk disease, characterized by blastoid histology, TP53 mutation, refractory disease, and a high tumor cell proliferation rate have especially poor outcomes. The most effective treatment for relapsed refractory MCL are bruton tyrosine kinase, or BTK, inhibitors, three of which have been approved by the FDA to date, ibrutinib, acalabrutinib, and zanubrutinib. The approvals of ibrutinib and acalabrutinib have changed the treatment paradigm for patients with relapsed refractory MCL. However, these agents are associated with off-target toxicities, including bleeding, arthralgias, myalgias, and cardiac adverse events. Zanubrutinib is a highly selective and potent BTK inhibitor designed to be highly bioavailable with minimal off-target effects. It was first approved in patients with Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia and relapsed refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia and small lymphocytic lymphoma, based on the findings from two large phase three trials. In November of 2019, the FDA granted zanubrutinib accelerated approval for the treatment of mantle cell lymphoma in adults treated with one or more prior lines of therapy. This approval was based on the findings from a phase two trial with 18.4 months follow-up. In the current paper, investigators now report on the long-term safety and efficacy of zanubrutinib from the same trial after an extended median follow-up of 35.3 months. The trial enrolled a total of 86 participants at 13 sites in China. Study subjects received an oral dose of 160 milligrams of zanubrutinib twice daily until progressive disease, unacceptable toxicity, death, or withdrawal of consent occurred. The primary endpoint was the objective response rate, or ORR, defined as either a partial response or complete response, assessed by the Independent Review Committee. Secondary endpoints included investigator-assessed ORR, progression-free survival, duration of response, time to response, and safety. Overall survival served as an exploratory endpoint. Safety was assessed based on the frequency and severity of adverse events, as defined in version 4.03 of the National Cancer Institute's Common Toxicity Criteria for Adverse Events. Mutation status was assessed using a next-generation sequencing panel of 175 hematological malignancy-related genes. The ORR was 83.7%, with 77.9% of patients achieving a complete response. Patients who responded to zanubrutinib achieved a response by the first efficacy assessment, which occurred 12 weeks after the first dose of zanubrutinib. The median time to response was 2.7 months. Median progression-free survival was 33 months, and the 36-month progression-free survival and overall survival rates were 47.6% and 74.8%, respectively. Median duration of response was not reached. No new safety signals were identified during this extended follow-up, with the most common all-grade adverse events being drops in neutrophil counts and upper respiratory infections and rash, each occurring at a rate greater than 35%. Infections, neutropenia, and bleeding most commonly occurred during the first six months of treatment and decreased thereafter. White blood count and platelet count decreases were seen in about one-third of patients, and most were grade 1 or 2. The most common grade 3 adverse events were neutrophil count decreases and pneumonia. Next-generation sequencing of 54 patient samples revealed that patients with disease progression 
had higher mutation rates of three genes, Notch 1, TP53, and BCL10 CARD11, and shorter progression-free survival compared to non-progressing patients. Investigators concluded that zanubrutinib demonstrates deep and durable responses in relapsed refractory mantle cell lymphoma and a favorable safety profile after extended follow-up. In an accompanying commentary, Manali Kamdar from the University of Colorado School of Medicine notes that although zanubrutinib showed excellent efficacy and an acceptable safety profile, an ongoing debate remains about which BTK is the best choice for patients with relapsed refractory MCL. There are no prospective trials comparing ibrutinib to zanubrutinib. Thus, Kamdar believes that a close review of adverse event profiles may be useful in selecting the appropriate agent. For example, second-generation BTK inhibitors have been shown to exhibit less cardiac and bleeding adverse events compared to ibrutinib. She concludes that the future of relapsed refractory mantle cell lymphoma looks bright, with promising efficacy shown by chimeric antigen receptor therapy and reversible BTK inhibitor pirtubrutinib in recent trials of patients with hard-to-treat subtypes of MCL. It will also be interesting to follow up on the trials exploring the use of BTK inhibitors earlier in the treatment course. In the final segment of today's podcast, we will review a report published in Blood entitled HMGB1-Mediated Restriction of EPO Signaling Contributes to Anemia of Inflammation by Brian Dolmovitz from the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell in Uniondale, New York, and colleagues. Anemia of inflammation, also known as anemia of chronic disease, affects more than 1 billion people worldwide, including older individuals and patients with obesity, cancer, and other forms of chronic inflammation. Erythropoietin, unlike for many other forms of anemia, is not effective in alleviating anemia of inflammation. Although the mechanism of action of erythropoietin is well understood, it remains unknown why it fails to stimulate erythropoiesis in anemia of inflammation. High mobility group BOX1 protein, or HMGB1, is a nuclear protein that is released from dying cells or secreted by activated innate immune cells, leading to inflammation. HMGB1 acts as an immunomodulator by binding to surface receptors, including toll-like receptors, and the receptor for advanced glycation end products, or RAGE. The authors previously showed that HMGB1 has a role in sepsis-associated anemia in a murine sepsis model. Injecting mice with recombinant HMGB1 was sufficient to induce anemia, while the administration of a neutralizing monoclonal antibody against HMGB1 had protective effects. Furthermore, during a chronic phase of inflammation as mice recovered from sepsis, the levels of HMGB1 were elevated. However, the exact molecular mechanism by which HMGB1 exerts its effects remained unknown. In the current study, the authors used in vitro models of human erythropoiesis and an in vivo mouse model of chronic inflammation to further understand the role of HMGB1 in anemia of inflammation. They hypothesized that HMGB1 binds to its receptor RAGE, thereby inhibiting erythroid differentiation. Human CD34-positive hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells were isolated from D-identified cord blood and femoral head bone marrow. 
and differentiated to enucleated reticulocytes using a three-phase erythroid differentiation system in the absence or presence of HMGB1. Erythroid cell lines were also used in some experiments. Additional studies utilized lentivirus-mediated knockdown of RAGE. Flow cytometry was used to assess human erythroid progenitor populations and human terminal erythroid differentiation, as well as cell death using Inexin-5 staining. When investigators knocked down RAGE, they observed decreased erythropoiesis in several culture models. However, when they added HMGB1 to RAGE-depleted cells, erythropoiesis was inhibited to an even greater degree, leading the authors to conclude that HMGB1 acts on erythropoiesis outside of its interactions with RAGE. The authors then showed that even in the presence of erythropoietin, the levels of phosphorylated erythropoietin receptor and activated signal transducer and activator of transcription 5, or STAT5, were reduced in the presence of HMGB1. This points to a previously uncovered interaction of HMGB1 with the erythropoietin signaling pathway. The authors tested a variety of hypotheses about where HMGB1 might be affecting the EPO signaling cascade. A series of experiments revealed that HMGB1 does not act downstream of erythropoietin and that HMGB1 actually binds to the erythropoietin receptor, although with less affinity than erythropoietin. Furthermore, the authors were able to show that treating erythroid cells first with HMGB1, followed by erythropoietin, leads to severe inhibition of erythropoietin signaling, while high levels of HMGB1 can inhibit the pharmacological levels of erythropoietin. Finally, returning to their murine sepsis model, the authors then showed that treatment with anti-HMGB1 antibody after sepsis onset can partially restore erythropoietin signaling in vivo. Taken together, these findings suggest that HMGB1 alters erythropoiesis by inhibiting the erythropoietin signaling pathway, and this is independent of its interactions with RAGE. The authors conclude that HMGB1-mediated restriction of EPO signaling contributes to the chronic phase of anemia of inflammation. In an accompanying commentary, David Bodine from the National Human Genome Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, notes that this paper shows for the first time that a protein outside of the erythropoietin signaling cascade can regulate erythropoiesis which represents a paradigm shift in our understanding of anemia of inflammation and erythropoiesis in general. This was the result of outside-of-the-box thinking and careful testing of alternative hypotheses. He also notes that it will be interesting to see which genes are regulated through the RAGE signaling pathway. In terms of clinical implications of these findings, Bodine hypothesizes that targeting HMGB1 could be an effective way of stimulating erythropoiesis in at least a portion of patients with anemia of inflammation. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.